you're listening to AWR Film Club, and the movie that we have for this week is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Ooh. It's uh, written and directed by. Hey, no, no, it's written by Charlie Kaufman. <laughs> I was too fast there. Uh, directed by okay. Michelle Gondry. Yep. And uh, yeah, we have uh, myself, Garrick. And, and I'm Derek. And, and I'm Andy. Yep. Our good friend Andy is back. Yep. We're missing Victor for this week, uh, for for this episode because he was uh he had like prior engagement and stuff. But we will get him for the next film mm. and stuff. Yeah. We will have you in our thoughts, Victor. We we'll prom- we'll promise not to erase you. Also, watch it. That's <laughs> Yeah. All right. So yeah, we're gonna talk about this film. Yeah. Um, it's my personal favorite. Yeah. Um, I've told Derek and Andy before that I I've, I've watched it in the double digits. <laughs> Way back, exactly, exactly. Way how, back from my college years. Exactly. How many times do you think you've seen it? Like seventeen times, it's or twenty-one times, or it's definitely more than ten. I can tell you okay, that. Okay, yeah. Okay. But yeah, I've seen it pretty much once a year since college. I think. Oh wow! Is that At like least, your, Is it like a ritual film? Like it's, year, every yearly, like it's it's you know it's one of those films where every every now and then you know you look at it. And then you're like, huh, you know, yeah, yeah. like that, One the, of those. that the, those feelings that I had before from that film, those memories, you know, like, you know, let, let's relive it yeah. again. So yeah. like, yeah, so that's why I, I wanted to watch it. But uh, I wanted, I want to know what Andy thinks about it because it's, it's your first time watching it, right? Uh, yes, actually, I just watched it a few hours ago. <laughs> and if I were to sum it up in just like one term, I would use the term uh, psychologically complex. It's <laughs> 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 very elliptical to add another one to it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. That's that's not that's no stranger to uh, any Charlie Kaufman films. Yeah, I myself have seen it twice now. I've seen it. The first time I've seen it was like uh, first year of college, prior to just enter college. That was like, you know, I picked that film. I do not know why I came across that film. Like, come to think of it, it must have been like, yeah, I actually don't know. I actually don't know why I picked up that film, but, uh, you know confused on the first viewing but on the second viewing I kind of like got a lot of things that I probably didn't get back in the day and um, mm. it, it's a really really it's a really compelling movie actually mm. come to think of it it's a really really great movie actually <laughs> so what how, how do we start you know um, we should start by describing the film you know what is it about what's so, the plot do you want to describe it oh I'll let you, let you do it <laughs> it's, a, it's um we first meet Joel mm. play amazingly by Jim Carrey um, uh, you know he woke up in his apartment you know feeling a bit confused and he uh, g- uh, goes to work by the train and then he he <laughs> I find it really funny every time I've, I saw that scene you know he like uh, don't want to go to work and he run over to the other train um, he he took a train on a random to Montauk right yeah Montauk. where is Montauk by the way it's like uh, like uh, something like out of the really city from New York you know, one right. of those uh, outskirts area. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah. it's near the beach, but it's it's um it's implied that it's uh Valentine, so it's mm, February. Yes, yes. But it's winter, so it's like he, super he, cold. He very depressingly notes it as you know Valentine's Day, you know, two thousand three, and then a uh, winter in uh, February in New York. It's <laughs> like really this like this funny throwaway thing for I'm pretty sure for New York native they'll be like uh yeah it's a, it's really really freakishly cold mm. so yeah he was there and then there uh, over the course of like you know while he was there he meets this girl named um, Clementine played mm-hmm. by Kate Winslet uh, they met on the train they exchanged few words and, and stuff and then um, they're being you know really flirtatious with one another um, um, you know 
poking one another, one another and stuff like that. And then the film kind of like suddenly shifts to him crying in a car. Mm. I remember. <laughs> and and also the credit rolls. The, uh, uh, it was like seventeen. Yeah, the seventeen minutes in, I was like, I was like, keep checking. I was like, wait. Yeah, so it's like. Well, well, before that opening credits. Yeah. Uh, when <coughs> I what I've noticed is that when uh when Joel meets Clementine in the train. Or no, sorry, in the in the restaurant in the yeah. diner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if if it, if it was any kind of like melodrama, normal drama kind of uh movie, you know, you would just have the characters talking, but you the the insertion of the of John Bryan's score, oh you you, you hear yeah, like yeah. very quirky little notes mm. that implies that it's a it's a different kind of genre. It's cheeky. It's a I, cheeky I, I, kind I, of note. I right? I have personal quip with the score. Though. I mean, I really like John Bryan. I mean, John Bryan was the one who scored uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's uh, Punch Drunk Love. Yeah, yeah. His score is like his score in Punch Drunk Love is score. one of the yeah. one of the things I still listen to one of these days. And then, you know, you hear this quirky very you know like Andy said like cheeky tunes while they were talking and then they kind of like threw me off just a tiny bit but I can kind of understand oh wait you know what John Bryan doing its thing mm. and all that and that's this little quick tidbit here where you know Michelle Gondry said something about uh, whenever they talk the music would uh, you would hear the music and then whenever they stop and then you would hear the music pause as well it's, it's a very you know very director's touch kind of a thing it's like, mm. which, I, which I find it quite yeah Quite endearing, but basically, I mean, basically, the opening—it's supposed to sh- just uh, sort of introduce these two characters, yeah. uh, but mm. also inject a little bit of what is to come. Yes. Which, of course, when you see the opening title, uh, you know, and it completely shifts the structure of the film, and then yes. I remember watching it the first time. I was, I'm, I'm just thinking like, what is happening now, right? Because you mm. think it'd be a linear structure of this yep. uh, boy meets girl story, and uh, it's gonna be like a normal love story, but then it suddenly becomes something different. Uh, mm. Andy, what, like, what do you think about it when you saw it? Well, uh, the interesting thing about the opening credits coming in at the 17th minute is actually an indication in many cases that that is actually the uh, the starting of the film. In terms of linear timeline, that happened first and then everything else followed suit. Mm. You know, so some Malaysian films, for example, uh, I've seen Ho Yu Hang's Rain Dogs and Edmund Yus Akirat, the title credit comes in right in the middle. Yeah, so that's how we knew exactly that the next portion of the film immediately after the title is actually happening first. So that is to help us to organize in terms of the structure, as in what starts first and later on. Mm-hmm. Very clever, very clever. Mm-hmm. So I, it, I mean, it just really poses a question to the audience, right? Like, what, what do you think is happening here, right? Yeah. And then mm-hmm. uh, you see uh, uh, the structure, which is of course the genius part of Charlie Kaufman, Kaufman's oh, writing. You know, amazing. it's um, the way he constructs his story. It's not always straightforward. If you've yeah. seen uh, Being John Malkovich Adaptation Yes Tonight the Key New York You know He loves to <laughs> Time jump He, he, he loves he to really operates On his own wavelength Yeah think, You know True But it doesn't Also It doesn't sway Too far away yeah. From Like a Like uh, How a normal person Would understand it Yeah mm. It might take a few uh, Rewatch Watch. Right to, un- to, to really get it But yeah And uh, I I was of course, yeah, impressed a lot by uh, Michel Gondry's direction mm. because uh, <laughs> I guess his his work is it sort of really complements Kaufman's 
quirky writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So and then um and then when he when uh, you see like Jim Carrey starts to figure out what is happening, you know that um uh, she, they, he got a letter um by this uh clinic, yes. Lacuna Inc, <laughs> <laughs> saying that uh Clementine has uh essentially erased him from her memory, and then you know um you the the first really out there shot you see him in the bookstore mm. he is like looking at Clementine and she is kissing the stranger and then yes. he walks out of the bookstore and into a living room mm. you know, oh, I love that the first time when I've seen you know I, I didn't remember that scene at uh-huh. all when I, when I first time watched it and then I was like, watching it second time around I was like wait oh okay you know it's, it's a Michel Gondry you know this is where his trickery in camera and stuff mm. they have mentioned they did almost all of the effects that you've seen in camera I do not know how they do that mm. particularly because you clearly see Jim Carrey like exiting through the library yep. through shop literally into his living room mm. where the stair is it's like it's like you have the lighting changes from his bag and you know, lighting closes and mm. it's it's another one of those uh. mm. what, what, what about you Andy what, what, what sort of cap- captivate or caught you well caught- actually um, because I mainly write. So the first thing that I look into it definitely was the story structure. Like, I mean, that, that really, really struck me about the whole film. Uh, but one thing that I find very interesting is that uh, whenever a director chooses to play with time, right, it's usually a, stat, uh, a protest against the status quo because the status quo exists today because of the passing of time. So sort of like to, to change or to play around with time was a form of protest, you know. So in this case, if I were really to look at the story, right, and then how when he went into that zone of erasing his memories, he started with his most recent memory because the most recent things are the freshest things. And then it goes back to the things that happened eventually the longest when they first met. That was the last bit of their memory, right? So in a way, right, their memories were actually happening in reverse, but then um, time with the characters and doctors were erasing his memory and all that, mm. they're happening forward. So mm-hmm. that is backward mm-hmm. and forward happening at the same time. So what I really like about this, coming back to the idea of status quo, right? Whenever you are reversing something, right, you're undoing it. You see that? So at, at the end of the whole thing, he, they really undid their relationship. So that gave them the opportunity to start all over again. Yeah. Right? So they started literally and with the new slate. That was so yeah. clever. They did try again yeah. and again and so the relationship, clever. which, you know, which mm. we'll definitely talk about how it ends and all yeah. that a bit. Um, before we proceed, I think we might need to explain what is lacuna and what do they do. And this mm. is where the, you know, the, 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 the one science fiction aspect that I think people will remember the film from. Mm. You know, they might not remember the core of the film, like how, um, um, how it's about relationship, mm. like, you know, the, the, the beautiful and the good side of, and, and the worst side of relationship is. But mm. people certainly do remember the whole, there's a company out there that they can target the parts of your brain so that they can erase the memory that you wanted, you wanted it to be erased. So it's like, mm. so, you know, so there's this Lacuna Inc., and then their job is basically to, uh, you give them, they'll ask you what are the memories that you want it to be erased from your brain. And then you give them the, you give them your possessions, I think, your, your, your prized possessions yeah. Yeah, yes. of the thing. And then they'll do something of a jig with it. And then they have like this whole headgear being inserted. And then, you know, um, uh, uh, yeah, it's like uh, the staff and the workers that works in that office were played by Tom Wilkinson, Kristen Dusk. Post Mary Jane Watson, Kristen does by the way, mm. and uh, Elijah Wood 
post Frodo Baggins Elijah Wood, by the way. <laughs> you know, you're talking about Elijah Wood, who has done three Lord Ring movies, and of course, Mark Ruffalo, of which I completely forgotten that he was in the film. He was like clean cut. Yeah, he looks super young. <laughs> super young, super young, uh, pre-Bruce Banner and whatever he's going to do in the future. So, you know, you have these four characters of which uh, you know, they're working at Lacuna and then they're basically handling all this procedure of like erasing memories and all that stuff. Mm. And they also have like a, a B plot involving their side as well. You know? They have like um, a small story that, you know, yeah. we'll get into in a bit. I would say none of the characters were wasted. Like, exactly. They all yeah, served exactly. a part and they were really well developed. Um, you you don't actually see any other characters beside the four of them and, and Clementine and Joe yep. and Tom Wilkinson's wife at one point. You don't really see anyone apart from this mm. uh, main ensemble who, it's a very small cast. who Michelle Gondry has like used to the maximum of, of their talent mm. basically to mm. fill up the screen time. It's really like, you know, when you think about it, it's really, it's amazing. Mm. Yeah. I, I, when I, when I come to think about it, it, you know, the, thinking about this story, it's about the, the structure moving backwards and forwards. It's about erasing memories. It's like, it's like Kaufman is like doing Nolan before Nolan, <laughs> as do, you know, has started doing Inception, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it involves dream it was as well. Dreams. Some, you know, the, like mm. the, the nature of reality in dreamscapes and, um, you know, characters navigating through their memories and whatnot. Mm. It's very, you know, it's very much what Nolan will do, will explore in, you know, in like Inception and whatnot. Mm. I'm pretty sure in like other films as well, but it's it's truly you know for people watching back, I can kind of, for people watching back in like the year two thousand four, I can quite imagine the conf- the state of confusion that they're in, like the, like what the hell am I watching here? This is not like traditional, traditionally plotted in any way, you know. Like when we compare the Hollywood films back in the early noughts, you know, it's like mm-hmm. like clearly Michelle Gondry is trying to do something really really different here, so, and uh, yeah. With the help of Charlie Kaufman, of course. Yeah, but what I find interesting is that even though the storyline right was very very elliptical in terms of how it was structured, it actually followed the three X structure perfectly. Mm. It did. It, the yeah. character arc yeah. and all that. It was exactly there. Uh, but what I find interesting, or it was a form of deviation from the usual uh three X structure, is the fact that you know how usually in the Hollywood writing there's always a character goal. His goal started off with him wanting to erase her. And then right before he even reached the midpoint, which is at the center of the story where things were okay for a while, right? He changed his mind. Literally. Yeah. Uh, and that happened pretty early on in the story. So it was a mm. very big reversal to happen early on. So I thought that was interesting as to how he was able to take something like a template that is overly used and use it in a way that no one has tried before. Mm. Yeah, so I admired that about the writing. Yeah. I guess um, in, if it if it relates to real life, there are I guess there are things there are sometimes you know we make decisions based on impulses, based on just like gut feeling, and yeah. then yeah. either midway or usually it's after you know that we sort of regret these decisions. So it's, it's I guess it's not common to see it in the structure for this film, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, if if we, if we look back at our relationships, you know, um, certain certain ones, you know, that we. You know, maybe we, we may regret, you know, having yeah. either lost them yeah. or like, uh, you know, in some situations or not. Um, so I think they were trying to convey the emotions of that into this film and not just show it, not just show it like a, like your uh, very, stereo- uh, no, very typical uh, mm. melodrama 
relationship story. You know, it's really about the love and loss and, you know, what, what it really means to to just, I guess, be with someone, you know. Mm, um, those fleeting memories of um, yeah, yeah. moments in and out of relationships and those impulsive uh, decisions that you can make as a, as a person who mm. is in a relationship, you know, all those stupid little decisions you can do, all those great memories that you remember, and then it's very fleeting in a way. That's being the way that, uh, how memory and love is being portrayed in the film, and uh, I find it quite endearing this time around because, um, you know, especially when I watch it back in the day, I'm not necessarily in like relationship enough to really understand the the maturity mm. the level of maturity that's being portrayed in the film and then now like how many years onwards and having been in relationships and all that you kind of understand what Michelle Gondry is trying to do wow. you know back in the day you, you kind of understand all this like you saw you, your life on the screen you, you can, you can kind of understand <laughs> you know you can kind of empathize in a way with Jim Carrey's Joel in, in a way and then you can you know it's it's it hits uh, slightly harder to mm. home so it's like it's 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 really it's yeah it's amazing I mean I've I've you know it, I, I read somewhere that Michelle Gondry had a meeting with Jim Carrey prior to be you know prior to when he agreed to do this film is that Jim Carrey was just had like a really bad depressive episode in his life because mm-hmm. he had like a really really uh, messed up breakup in his in his life and then Michelle Gondry kind of like Michelle Gondry kind of like telling him very casually um, you're beautiful you're broken please stay this way for, for, for now for my yeah. film and then to which you know very famously like Jim Carrey later remarked in that documentary um, um, Man to what was that Man on the Moon the Netflix documentary they did you know he said that's how fucked up this business is you know you have directors telling you that kind of thing and mm. I was like oh, well, oh wow that is like such a, <laughs> that's a that's a very painful thing but it, it definitely shows like through the portrayal of Joel to how he navigate the, the plot with uh, you know as the character mm. you know uh, very average Joe looking guy but then going through the same problems that other guys might have been through you know, other people might have been through in a relationship so it's really it's really endearing in that way yeah. mm. but what I find interesting about the whole idea of again depression you see, you see what was very interesting about this film is, is that the narrative was happening in the character's head so yeah. usually when you get into a character's head right, it's when the audience get to feel the most for the character because there's nothing to hide everything that's in the person is out there for them to see literally you know and so not only that but you see things from his perspective as well you know, people actually used to say that uh, back then if you were to watch films like Citizen Kid and all that, the flashbacks are always very objective. It's exactly what happened. They wanted you to not contest to the reality that the character was perceiving mm. until Rush Hormone happened. And then some people realise that everybody will have a different version of the reality as to how they perceive it to be. So yeah. with Jim Carrey's case, right, we, are, we were not just only um, seeing things from his perspective, but we are also perceiving it that way. That means she's the bad person and all that. But what I find interesting about his mind, right, because he was portrayed as being depressed and sad is that it, they were all pretty much happy flashbacks right? even with the colour tone and the texture and everything in his mind right? they were not gritty or heavy or depressed it was still funky which coming back to the idea of that funky score just now I felt that is why it was justified yeah, that yeah, they hired yeah. Kim Carrey because that's the first impression that you get he's a funky man so yeah. how heavy can it be <laughs> you know yeah. I mean it's also the first time Michelle Gondry want, wanted Jim Carrey because he wants him to play against type you know, like yeah, through, yeah, yeah. throughout the years, like Jim Carrey has always been known as that zany, comedic, you know, the the the, mm. the character who always plays this over the top 
uh, characters in films and stuff. And then Michel Gondry kind of like do not want any of that. Mm. Kind of like wants him to play like the way he wants him to play. Yeah. And then, mm. and then there's like this whole thing where he Michel Gondry really wants Jim Carrey to do it as a drama, while he wants everyone else around him to do it as a comedy uh, or something. He ah. he would ask he would ask Kate Winslet to do like improvised comedy, and then he would ask like Mark Ruffalo and. Kirsten does to do whatever they're doing to be more improvised kind of thing while Jim Carrey is the dramatized guy <laughs> on set and it's by design you know when you read those kind of things it's like it's yeah I guess that's how that's how Michelin Country works I guess As, with actors especially if you uh, if, if they are well known for comedies yeah. um, it would definitely it I mean, it intrigues the audience right it, it's, it's telling them that um, this actor is gonna be portraying something that you've never seen before mm-hmm. sort of like when you see when you saw Adam Sandler in Punch Drunk Love right oh, yes. you wouldn't expect someone like him to act in that very serious kind of role mm-hmm. but it also it plays against type it you know shows a different range and um, I think this was sort of the start for uh, Jim Carrey's like dramatic roles exactly. as well you know after this he uh, he was in Man of the Moon. He was in Truman mm-hmm. Show, and like many more after that. I, I remember that he's like he did that one film called what Number Twenty Three or something like this. Oh, yeah, that, like that was still being. And then everybody was like, that, "Oh, I've never seen Jim Carrey did like dramatic role." I'm like, "You've never seen Man on the Moon. You've never seen Eternal Sunshine." It's like clearly you've not been like you know been very well in tune with his career choices. Mm. And Number Twenty Three is. Was it a bad movie? I don't know. Let's not talk about it. Yeah, it was okay. Like. It, wasn't, it was okay. It wasn't the best. <laughs> the but, guy yeah. who was obsessed with the number 23. But yeah. It's... yeah. Um, but yeah, back to the film. Um, when we when we finally see uh, <coughs> him deciding to erase Clementine and um, you know, we start to go into his head. Yes. And this is when like the fun part starts. That's right? where I the think film... this, this is where you get the fun and games yes. portion. And then you see uh, like him and Clementine interacting in the home. And then you you start to see the blend of dream and reality, and then mm. like Clementine just disappears, and it's it's you know showing you like how they are erasing his memories. So like the the the, the sci the sci-fi portion is is playing in this part, mm. and uh, yeah, I mean it it's, it's you know it, it goes on further. Um, and you see like the the end of their relationship where they were arguing, and then uh, she sort of storms out, and then he follows her down the street. And then you see a car, yes, a car falls literally down falls from the from sky, sky. <laughs> you know, sort of indicating like, uh, like the memory is gonna is being erased Crumbling, now. Crumbling, yeah, and yeah. Then unstable. This, this this amazing sequence, which um, which I the first time I saw it, I didn't even know how they did it, but it was uh, it, like Jim Carrey chasing her down yes. the street, and then yes. he walks from one end to the other and then it's the same end of the street yes mm. which at first I was just amazed by but like, like looking back now I it's be, I think it's, it's because he he never kept walking down the, the long street so like he never saw what was at that end mm. so they, are, they, they can only show what he has seen so it's yes, yeah. that's the same with that Elijah Wood's face as well. Elijah Wood's it's face very yes, yes. When, when when he turned Elijah oh my and God. you only see the back of him you know I, I remember that scene very vividly back in the day. Like, you know, if if a non-horror people, you know, if you're not really a fan of horror, and you you came across that scene of like him trying to like turn Elijah, that's, that scene is scary as hell. I mean, it's like yeah. really, 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 and then you have like Jim Carrey just casually walking while the guy with like this 
head just standing over there. It's like, mm-hmm. like what? What is this? It. I mean, he he's meant to portray this kind of like this, the dreamscape that Jim carries on is kind of having this like slight nightmarish bend mm-hmm. to it as like things are slowly crumbling, slowly destabilizing. Yeah, disintegrating around him. It's it's. Is them freaky, you know? Mm. <laughs> Dreamscape is really, really freaky. You're talking about the tangibility of memories, <laughs> uh, because if you look at it, right, he actually, the director at least, pointed that memory actually comes from two places, which is his face and the items. Yeah. See, that was what was needed, right, for them to track which part of the brain has which memory, you know? So, coming back, that's nowadays, how we humans remember things anyway, right? I mean, from stuff. From, from, from sense, from yeah. what our, our senses experience. Yeah. So I recently remember watching a film from Singapore. It's a short film that won at Short Shots, which is about how they are demolishing buildings in, in Singapore to build MRT and all that. So they are trying to say that if you demolish the buildings, you're also killing the memories with it because people mm. don't have anything tangible yeah, to yeah. base their memories on. So it was the same with this film. Yeah, I loved it. Mm. Yeah, just just to think of how they are, they use memories um in telling the story, you know. I I I'm not sure even where to where to move on with that. But um <laughs> um yeah, uh I remember this one line um I think it's it was Kristen Dunst who said it. I think yeah. like uh I think it was Jim Carrey uh Joel asking like what why what is this cleaning or something and then she said something like oh, to let people begin again yeah. right I think there was this one line of that which yeah, yeah. which I think which sort of like stood out to me a lot and um and oh yeah uh, there was um this this part of uh when it, uh Elijah Wood you know his character sort of uh you is sort of you using Joel's uh items and memories um to sort of court Clementine. Mm, yeah. And because he's using yeah, he's using like used memories and trying to um recapture like that feeling again with Clementine, yes. which I thought spirals into a very complex but also like interesting spider web of relationships between all of them. Yeah. 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 That, that was very, very, very interesting. Yeah, coming back to the, the subconscious and also the conscious, because you were saying that just now, uh, that memory wasn't Elijah Wood's memory, it was actually Jim Carrey's memory, right? But it was projected towards her. So a subconscious of her that is still there, but it's not um, clear, she sort of associated it and, and made her very fond of, uh, fond of it, which is what I find interesting because human beings, we do association. Like For example, I meet you, Garrick, and I remember someone from the past who looks exactly like you, and I might project the same attitudes or affections that I had maybe on that person on you you know so it was the same with the part where they went back to the childhood and then uh, he was under the table and he was <laughs> small and then there was this woman there who was wearing very short skirt and all that it was very obviously sexualized you know and he put Kate Vincent's face on that woman so there was uh, that same idea of association again that you know okay foreigner sexuality and all that so I projected Kate Vincent's face on this woman from my past you know, because there are certain parallels to it. So I thought that was very clever also. Mm, mm. Yeah, that's that's a, that's actually a very interesting <coughs> read. Um as because I've always I've always imagined I've always thought of that scene more for uh, what it is of like of the force perspective that they shot it in. Mm. Um but yeah, like, um because the, like, the people we have in our lives sometimes they they do resemble other people mm-hmm. and when we can't really place them, you know, we put like like you said, their faces on them, and mm. yeah, it's I think it's an interesting read for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
any childhood scene in the film was actually very interesting. I really liked it that um, we really got to see what's in his head. You know that part where he said, dig deeper, dig deeper, and then he went back to that trauma where he had to smash a bird. <laughs> um, so yeah, we really get the insight of, of our, you know, what he went through and stuff like that. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. Another another reason why it's 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 like Inception. It's like it's a dream within another dream, right? <laughs> mm. <laughs> but yeah. I think this one took it a bit further. You know why? Because it wasn't just memories; it's also imagination. Uh, you yes. realize, right? So whatever happens in our head, sometimes when we talk to ourselves and all that, you no, know, everything was there. So that's why uh, I realized at the beginning of the film there was a voiceover. So whenever there's a voiceover, right, it usually means that it has already happened. So therefore, the character was able to talk about it. You know, we are in the future. That's why we are able to talk about the past. Yeah. So yeah. coming back to the idea, I felt that he was Jim Carrey in the future, mm. but now he's retelling the story again. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Okay. Uh, what about you, Derek? What else stands out for me, for you? Uh, Chris Nolan didn't come up with Inception without even watching this film. <laughs> no, no. I mean, uh, I kid, but yeah, both films were great. Um. Yeah. I mean, it's a. It's a. Yeah, man. I mean. The, the way the film deals with memories and imagination and how uh, we perceive those two concepts is, is quite wild in a way. Um, it's... I'm, I'm trying to think of a really exciting scene. I mean, the false perspective, the, the one yeah. where he hides under the table. And then I was thinking about the one where the, the, the rain fought, mm. fell down on, on the living room while they were sitting down. And then he, he you know, intercuts between this few different places where there's a kid hiding under the table yep. and then there's rain and then the actual rain appeared in the living room and that's actually like I think the genius of uh, Gondry's work which yeah, is yeah. he loves to blend uh, reality and dreams and reality and imagination it's a it's a technique if you've seen his music video he mm. always does the same thing as well because you know I mean music video directors always tend to tell stories in like a 2-3 minute mm. form of mm. like content and stuff and he the way he integrate those visual language is really helpful when it comes to like portraying scenes like that you know when when he's trying to pull off scenes like that yeah it's, he does it very practically as well ex- I mean when you th- you couldn't be any more practical than Michel Gondry and you know when when people were talking about Michel Gondry how he achieved the the, the effects the visual effects and stuff he's very mm. proud of saying like there's very little visual effects being deployed oh, wow. on Eto'o Sunshine everything is being done by trickery by camera edits in camera um, uh, illusions and, and, and stuff like that. it's 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 a thing that drives what I read you know drives most of the gaffer and the grip and the and the DP insane because some of the things that they request and then he would say no 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 it's for this scene particularly and then uh, uh, Ellen Karras who is the cinematographer for the film uh, she would often complain about how the way Michel Gondry wants to light a certain places and certain scenes and how he wanted a shot a certain thing you know he was saying something about um he would have like earpieces connected to the camera operators he would have like two camera operators on like earpiece so mm. that michel gondry can directly communicate it to the camera operators on what to shoot it drives alan crust insane because this is not how traditional cinematographers work you know mm. like you would like deploy two cameras and then you just like room free you know shoot 360 degrees which is like insane concept even to this day you know we, we don't really do that you know but back in the day you know Michel Gondry that's, that's, you know, that explains why some of the shots were 
very rush you know sometimes it's very like sometimes you zoom into his face sometimes it's very shaky sometimes you don't really know you know it's very unfocused you don't know where the camera is going mm. because the camera operator literally doesn't know where they're going to go <laughs> <laughs> so it's like it's i you know i it's stories like this like it kind of makes sense of it how the film turned out to be and i love stories like this yeah you know, mm. i love i love how i love how it, it could be really confusing and annoying for the crew but mm. i i love how instinctive his film set is yeah. I love how Michel Gondry handles the tone of the film it really reflects in the film as well you know the way the film cuts it's 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 it couldn't be any more his voice in a, in a way mm. as much as it is is uh, uh, Charlie Kaufman's voice yeah you know, through the right things mm. I, I think a lot of films or like new filmmakers today they love to have very clean shots very beautiful shots everything in focus um but somehow they you know it 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 doesn't have the the, the essence or the heart of the scene which um a lot of filmmakers like Gondry has whereas um you know he it it sometimes it doesn't matter if the scene is a bit out of focus a bit you know ob- obscure a bit you know weird you know it's it's what you're trying to convey the tone of it and mm. like like Roger Deakins has mentioned it many times before you know like everyone wants to light the scene up super bright you know and have it you know, very centered or clean and all but you know what 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 is the shot that best showcases the the tone or the mood or emotion of this uh, of the of the story mm-hmm. and uh and i think and i think you know this this like should be an example that it doesn't have to be super beautiful you know yeah. it's just as long as you are, are able to convey what the director wants to, to tell, tell. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, one one little thing I don't know if you guys uh, caught it. Um, in the very beginning, when uh, when Joe was at the bookstore, and then uh, Clementine called Patrick, uh, so she she said like you know Patrick baby boy right, <laughs> so calling him, and then when uh, Joe Joe was in the dream and the memories are being erased and he's in the clinic, and then you know there uh, Patrick sort of like dropped something on the floor, mm. and then he grabbed it. And then Joe asked uh, Tom Wilkinson, you know, who's that? And then uh, uh and then Tom said, Oh, that's uh that's Patrick baby <laughs> <He's exactly> boy. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, so it's... It, it caught me again and it, it was just like just just small little quirky funny stuff mm-hmm. and it yeah, it just yeah. works. He lo- he brings all these details forward, you know. So yeah. yeah. I mean the way Michelle Gondry works in that film kind of reflects how indie filmmakers work these days you know you you kind of had that energy of like you know let's just grab the camera and just handheld it you know just mm. shoot like French new wavy style you know just shoot it unfocused you know, I, I find it kind of endearing that way back in 2004 you know Michel Gondry did this for film which for many many years afterward people are trying to copy the style trying to mimic that style that style mm. of like uh, shoot from your gut you know, you don't know what you're shooting, but you just shoot and then just let your instinct take over, kind of mm. a thing. And then it's it can create this very chaotic energy and whatnot. And we see this through films like you know Spike Jones, you know through the early days of Spike Jones and um, Michelle Gondry and other filmmakers as well. Mm. And yeah, it's just another just a thing that I want to highlight really. But actually, when I look at it, right, I I feel that he was actually very in control with the medium because he, he, he I is, felt yeah. that he knows what he was doing. It, it may seem uh, chaotic, but it's by design. Mm. Every little thing is by. It's never. I mean, I'm pretty sure that the the, this, the brainstorming he had with Charlie Kaufman, it must have been a fun room to be in. The kind of like crazy stuff that they could come up with. Mm. 
Because uh, one thing that I noticed, especially, right, because one of the principles of Hollywood filmmaking under the studio, right, is the clarity of time and space. That means no matter how elliptical, how crazy it is, or how experimental the shot hours are, right, people will always need to know where is this place and what is this time. And this experimental angle needs to be justified by the story. So in this case, right, even though it was chaotic and all that, it ticks all these three boxes. Yeah. The moment you break these three, these three rules, right, you will have an avant-garde film. You will have the French New Wave. Yeah, so he, he actually followed the mold. The yeah. film is very, very impressive. The film is very close to being avant-garde though, in a way. Yeah. I mean, for, for like a really mainstream uh, mm. viewer who expects like a really rom-commy kind yeah. of a tone, yeah. this is not that. It, it <laughs> this is not is at all. definitely not that. Well. But it does possess that same boy meets girl, girl meets boy, mm. boy loses girl, girl trying to explain to the boy. You know, you have that energy which some of the rom-coms mm. uh, romantic drama True. may have you know it has so, some general yeah elements. Charlie Kaufman even ticked those boxes as well yeah. even though he's playing within this very zany box of like science fiction and whatnot but he still you know it comes down to the whole thing if you focus the entire film on relationship hinges on these two characters it works you know whatever it, it, it really teaches me a lot on how genre is really just a a concept to, to hang your film upon but if you're really crystal clear in what you're trying to do it really mm. shows the, you know, it doesn't it doesn't matter what genre you're playing and it really shows through the characters through the writings through the actions it's mm. yeah mm. looking into like some of the technical stuff that you know sort of enhance the movie as well um, when you see like memories being erased then you see suddenly parts of the, the the shot is blurred out like faces <laughs> and then some maybe practical you know like the faces are like suddenly melting you know mm-hmm. into I, unrecognizable I read that looks. somewhere it was, uh, it was Michelle Gondry's knee or something <laughs> where they were superimposed onto the faces of Tom Wilkinson and uh, that's one Patrick that's one, as well that's one woman the woman the woman, the woman was the uh, Ellen Kuras by the way you know she was like standing <laughs> with the, with the yep. image being superimposed and mm. I really like that whole scene mm-hmm. where uh, you, you know you're trying to like fla- as though you're flashing a light on uh, yep. the, the single like spotlight, the single spotlight and then it's blacked yeah. out then on he, the he side. was saying something about the design be- des- the design idea behind that whole scene was that you know how um, uh, you know Michel Gondry brought up an old French film of like a car travelling through a highway and then all you see is just the what the headlight is showing you and you don't see the road that is beyond those headlights because that's how memory is you choose mm. to see the road that you're taking on and you never see anything that's beyond it. Mm. So he wanted to convey that visually in that scene. So you really only see, you don't see the whole room, but you literally only see the people, objects that you touch mm. and you can quite feel lost in the midst of all that. It's also, you know, it goes back to the whole how freaky it is, you know, the way, uh, the way he handles this. Has Michel Gondry ever made horror movies before? Because I really want I don't to. think so. Has Charlie Co- oh Charlie Kaufman has made one. So. A horror movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean uh, uh, I'm thinking of ending things gonna, you know, I uh, hopefully uh, will be under that realm. Yeah, I yeah. I mean watching back, it really kinda like, oh, they they do have that DNA of horror movies and stuff. They really do excited over those when we're talking about genre stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you guys think about the the beach house scene? Like uh, to close close towards the end. Uh, I find that very interesting because if you realize that was a very dark scene, 
you know, I mean, in terms of the lighting and everything, because, and things were slowly disintegrating. I, I keep using the word disintegrating because uh, the film reminded me so much of uh, Salvador's paint, uh, Dali's painting, you know, the melting clocks. It's called The Persistence of Memory, basically. It's about how, as we forget things, it melts away. You know, so to me, that also sort of justified that design where they decided to make the person's face sort of like melt or, you know, it, it's slowly disintegrating, you know. And that clearly comes together in that whole scene. So in terms of the story structure, right, that is actually the plot point two. Mm. The whole plot point two is where the character loses everything. And in this case, he literally loses his memory, everything that he fights, you know. It... um. In Save the Cat, they call it the, the Dark of the Night. Yeah, yes. yeah. Uh, so that was the scene. And it was literally the Dark of the Night. Yes. You know, it was at <laughs> night. Uh, so that was what uh, stuck up to me about that particular scene, I remember. Yeah, and the house literally crumbles. And you see the, the water keep receding closer and closer to the thing. It's, mm. uh, it's a, I think just by the way they are conveying an emotion through the context and the... This, the yeah. The, the, the surrounding, you know, having glasses fall, having the the house shattering down, having water coming up, you know, all these uh, visual uh, visual clues and aspects, you know, they 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 really enhance, you know, the emotion yeah. and the the I guess the 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 depth of these characters, mm-hmm. you know, if if you were just to you know maybe have them talking, you know, it wouldn't. It would it would have an imp- an impact, but maybe mm. not as strong as yes. this visual language, you know. Mm. Of, mm. Um, and then yeah, and I when you know when I was watching this film, uh, back in my college years, um, it was like m- many years ago. Um, it was it was it was a interesting time. It was a time when I you know I thought love was uh was mostly from you know these rom com movies, mm. and it was uh, always all. it always warm and fuzzy. You know it always yeah. works out in the end. And then when when I eventually saw this movie, um, it it was like a big slap, a big world. slap in the face, <laughs> mm. and it's 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 really uh telling telling me of the complexities of relationships, which yeah. you know back then I I didn't know too much about. So I couldn't really relate. Um, it, it, it really shows you how things can be really shitty, mm. but it's okay mm. to be shitty. You know, that's the most important t- takeaway for me, actually. You know, mm. it's the way that there. I, I guess we're veering closely to the to the to how the film's gonna end. You know, the fact that they really, uh, you know, uh, the way the kids and makeup about how the fact that they always fight with one another, how Clementine and Joe always like fight one another, but then you have. Joel admitting the fact that you know it's fine actually you know we have our flaws mm. we will we know that we will never be together Clementine knows that as well Clementine knows that we will never be together because I'm such a complicated person and you're trying to I'm constantly trying to find that one person who's trying to complete me kind of a angle but then it's fine mm. you know both of them uh, work on it decide to work on it mm. and, and we are whisked away to the happy memory again of like playing in the snow and, and stuff like that mm. you know, it's 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 nice, you know. It's very. That's what life is, I guess. You know. Yeah. You wanted to say something about playing the snow, by the way, right? You had a reading about that panel. Ah uh, yes. Um. Uh, so okay. So, <laughs> from what Derek has mentioned, um, is you know it talks about how you know sometimes in life we when we're in a relationship with a partner, you know, it's not all gonna be happy days. We're gonna mm, yeah. fight a lot. We're gonna be super angry, super sad. You know, there are times when we are we just wonder why are we with this person, mm. and then in the end, just like Joel and Clementine, they know that they are very 
um, they are complete opposites of each other. They will get on each other's nerves. Um, but the beautiful thing is that they are willing to give it a try. Yeah. Which um, I think in real life, you know, sometimes that's what we do. You know, that's why we try. We try to forgive. We try to move on. Yeah. And then in the ending, what I perceived it is that it shows not just for Joel and Clementine, but for like relationships in general, mm-hmm. that um that the repeated motion of playing in the snow is is how is is the amount of times that it will happen again oh. for them. Like because they the more the, the the each time that they keep going forward in in a relationship, they're gonna keep fighting and they're gonna keep making up again. They're, gonna, they're gonna keep doing it again and again. Mm. So this repeated over motion over to me it represents yeah. how many times it will happen again. It's inevitable. How, how fragile it is. Yeah. That you always will come back to that same point over and over again. But then you keep going back over and over again. Mm. And I ha- and I like how it just fades out to the white. Mm. You know, yes, uh, that is very <laughs> symbolic. I have a reading about that. Oh yeah, do do let us know. Do let us know. Um, it's actually because you see the, the thing about filmmaking is that the first and the final shot are uh, usually holds the significance of the film. People say the first shot will tell you everything you need to know, whether it's the content or the mood or the feel. And so it started with a shot of Jim Carrey waking up. It was a close up, and then it was very very blue. So the first impression that you have of him is that he's depressed, right? And then for the first chunk of the film, blue was a very recurrent color. You know, whether it was the bed sheets and when he went out in the train, the seats were blue and Clementine's hair was blue, which was very important because if a person was to dye the hair uh, color blue, it shows the preference. And you know, later on that her hair used to be red. So something, a part of her was gone. That spark was gone. Yeah, right? it, is, it is used mm-hmm. as a time signature in the film, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Clementine's hair mm-hmm. uh, defines what timeline are we seeing? You know, mm-hmm. um, blue and the red and the orange. And, At one part, it was green as well. Yes, yes. yeah, yeah. So when I look back at it And then I compare that shot And the final shot right, Which was supposed to be a contrast Because of why they worked it out But instead It ended with a very blue shot also And that's when I realised That from blue It faded to white So there was a change There was a shift Right in the relationship So yes uh, Coming back to the idea Of how you will always come back To fight And all that Like what you say Because it's cold It's in the snow But at the same time Things will also be okay mm. Yeah, Because one thing about them This time is that They are doing it a second time So they know how The story will end God knows how many times they've been doing it. I mean, mm. like really, mm. it goes to the fact that you know the way the film cuts. I generally have no idea how many times does Clementine have her memory being erased, and how many times does Joel having his memory being erased. Mm. Like the way the film is being told, and you could have like a dozen readings into it. But you know, like the the point that Charlie Kaufman and Michelle Gondry is trying to make is that you know they have a very solid idea on how life and romance is mm. and how those two will always intertwine with each other and will never you know will always be in play in one another and mm. how it always will be complex and how it always will be mm. um, it's always about uh, forgiveness and it's about mm. balance you know mm. stuff that mm. goes on in relationship exactly that's why I felt the final shot didn't go back to like the red and happy and the orange hair and all that but it instead went back to high school but white <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, so, Contrasted lah. It yeah. gave such a. I'm I'm like a sucker for bittersweet endings. Mm. I, I don't like something too happy. I don't like something too yeah, sad. Yeah. You know, when you have like that that right balance. Mm. You know, it's it's like a it's like a really good Musang King durian. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's why I love bittersweet. <laughs> so what what other films you think hit the same 
note of completion would you think? I mean, off the top of our heads, mm. I can't think of any films that gave me such satisfaction of an ending. Yeah, that could be a wrong question to pose. <laughs> <laughs> if we if we do think of one, maybe. Um, but yeah, um, I yeah, like what Darius say. Um, it shows that you know humans are messy and complex. Yeah, they're not so straightforward. You know, like it poses a real question for like audiences. You know, what would you do if you know how this relationship will go? You know, if you know how it's gonna end, you know, what would you stay? Would you try again? Would you, you know? Yeah, I mean, you see how romantic dramas are always so dry. You know, the boy gets the girl, the girl gets the boy, kind of a thing, and then it ends with them happily ever after. Mm. Eternal sunshine is never that. You know, so mm. eternal sunshine is always poses the question of like, what if? And mm. if it's that way, it's fine, and we will always find a way. You know, it's it's always very complex and bittersweet and open ended, in a way that keeps people talking until to this day. Mm. It has been like. 2004 my math isn't so great it has been like what 16 years since the film yep 16 my years goodness that's a, ages ago it was 16 years since the film came out and people are still having you know the ongoing discussion of whether it's a greatest film of all time it's up there mm. you know we're talking about you know, when we're talking about the pantheon of romantic dramas and dramas in general mm. it's right up there you know it's right up there in the discussion itself I I had a um I I looked it up of what the title sort of meant, um <laughs> so eternal sunshine is a is a metaphor for ongoing peace and happiness and carefree, whereas spotless minds it it means the removal of memories that control turmoil or uh, like bad bad feelings basically. So the title eternal sunshine of the spotless mind basically describes. The happiness and joy one can experience when the negative experiences have been removed. But isn't that a bit ironic? Because they suffered after the memories were removed. Yeah. 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 It's such a perfect title as well. You know, I keep thinking back, like, what film has like the eternal sunshine of a spotless? You couldn't get any more better mm. ring mm. than that film. It's, It's such almost... a nice ring to it. You I mean, the, the fact that they, uh, sorry, the fact they took. They they took it from a poem, right? Mm. A 17th century poem, like Alexander Pope or something like that. Yeah, it's, it's Pope Alexander. Pope Alexander. <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> yeah. So they had like the whole, and then you know they they pluck it out from that old uh, literature. It's it's mm. quite something. Ah, uh, sorry, you were saying. No, because uh, coming back to what you he was saying just now, but you now when you explain it, it looks like a critique on happy culture. You know, know that always are uh, good vibes only and all that. And apparently, the modern day film that critiques on happy culture is actually Inside Out. Mm. You know how how the character Joy always wanted to Literally. like uh, happy, 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 happy. But in the end, you needed sadness to heal. So it was the same with this story as well. It was almost like a critique of that. Like, coming back to the irony, uh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I I remember being in college and then uh, there was a there was one class where everyone would. Sort of describe, uh, just sort of say, like talk about themselves, introduce themselves, and say, uh, one movie that they would like rewatch over and over again. <laughs> so, um, you know, some people say like Fight Club, and uh, I would rewatch Fight Club. <laughs> uh, you know, other 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 movies that you you probably would have think of. You know, yeah. a bit more popular. Yeah, and then, Fight Club is like a darker version yeah. of an answer. <laughs> I I was the only one who said Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless yeah. Mind, because. Mm. Um, I think it's it's just one of those films you never see again. 
um, in terms of structure and storytelling and acting and mm. um, it's it's also not fair to say that it's a very happy happy movie as well. Yeah, it's, it's, nev- it's not a happy happy movie. In fact, it's a really really dark take on mm. a relationship on a human relationship. Yeah, a, a dark comedy basically. Yeah, right? for yeah. people who slowly gets it, you know, it's, mm. it's in that kind of way. It's not idealistic. It's not cynical. It's not on the extreme exactly. end. Yeah, yeah, it tries exactly. to balance it. And know? to think that mm. you know, comparing to what other works from Charlie Kaufman, I mean, I, I you know, before recording, I was saying that I've I've not seen being John Malkovich. I've not seen uh, Synecdoche, New York. I've not seen Human Nature. I've not seen. I've I've only seen adaptation and this. Mm. And I wonder the stuff that he's read. Oh, Norman Lisa as well. I almost forgot that. Normal Lisa is a great, yeah, like a spiritually sequel in such a way. I mean, Normal Lisa, I remember it, it being really positive, but although it, it although it explores the same dark territory that relationships often undergoes, mm. the same way that he did on Into the Sunshine as well. And well, we should speak about Normal Lisa some other day. Actually, Normal Lisa is another like really right up there kind of a thing. And, I mean, I mean, uh, so yeah, it's not fair to remark Into the Sunshine as a very Oh, it's a very happy, positive vibe. It does, but it also has it balanced out with its negative side, you know, on on life and the, yeah. the good and the bad side, you know. Which is basically what life is: uh, the good yeah, and yeah. the bad. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I I've always like considered Charlie Kaufman as like, like my 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 god, you know, <laughs> <laughs> the 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 person that I aspire to be as a writer, um, yeah. and. I I think yeah it's just it's very it's very hard to if you want to follow in the kind of footsteps you know very because he yeah. he he actually puts a lot of himself in exactly. his movies because a lot of the main a lot of times the main character is um is the the personality that they portray is often timid and shy and uh, sort of regressed and uh, closed off of from the public, which actually is sort of um, Kaufman's personality if you've watched videos of him. You know, like, he, he hates um, the Oscars. He hates how phony it is. He, he hates how um, uh, modern society and culture have become, you know, the way it is today. Did he say that awards, that, uh, is the Oscar remark, after or before he won, it's after. The it's after. Yeah, it was. <laughs> so, it was during the Anomalisa run. So yeah, yeah, during like two thousand five Oscars. So he did bring home the award for best screenplay. Yeah, for Eternal Sunshine. Yeah. This I'm not too sure who are the other nominees for that year. It'll be very interesting to find out as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Kate Winslet was nominated for best actress as well in that year, and you know Kate Winslet has gone on record to say that this was her favorite performances like of her wow. entire career it's so that that shows something you know <laughs> that speaks to the caliber that michelle gondry is operated on on set yeah so so uh andy what what, are, what would what would be your concluding thoughts about about this movie as a whole well i feel that if you are an aspiring writer and then uh, you really like to push the boundaries and i think this is definitely the film that you have to watch but one thing that i have to point out is that it's not a film that you can write without research. Because if you look at it, right, he, he really read into the human mind to understand how things work in our heads, you know. So therefore, he was able to come up with this. Yeah, so it's definitely not lazy writing. I, I admired it. I, I read somewhere that it was um, between Michelle Gondry and Charlie Kaufman and one other dude, Pierre something, I couldn't, couldn't remember the last name, of an idea that, he, that, that Pierre mentioned that, oh, um, 
um, someone sent someone of a postcard saying that I have erased you from my memory and that's how the idea for the entire film came to be and mm. such a I mean such a good concept to begin with and then you kind of like spun out an entire tale of romance and stuff out of it it's really quite it's quite something mm-hmm. I I would just sort of conclude it by saying it's one of those films that you just need to rewatch it like um you know from yeah. time to time yes. you would always find something new or inspiring or you know it's, just it's almost, just quirky it's almost cliche thing to say right I mean you like watch watch it multiple times mm. and you always have a new experience but it is that though I mean yeah this this is one of those very rare movies that mm. offers a new insight into life. I will preface that a little bit. I will say this mistake. Uh, the older you get, the more you will take away from it. Mm. Yeah, 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 because I, I remember Kai Stami said this, uh, watching films is like going shopping. Your bigger, your, the bigger your trolley, the more things you can put into it. You know? yeah, <laughs> so true. the older you get, the trolley gets bigger. So yeah. you can take more things from the film. Yeah. yeah. The, the, more you, the more of life that you've experienced, yes. right? the more you will impart what the movie mm. is trying to say. Like yeah. Eric lah. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, we all took away something from a film. It's, would, it's good. Well, I would say watch it with your partner as well, you know. Mm. I think it would be... That would be interesting. Have, experience. You, have you done it on, the, on, your, on your side? But I, I, you I haven't. I haven't. Ah, okay. Yeah. That would be a very <laughs> interesting film to watch with your partner, actually. <laughs> that would be a very good date movie. Or maybe it's not. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Seeing how it's a Charlie Kaufman script mm. it's written by do we have a favorite line from the film I I'm thinking you have one oh, no no I, it's, it's very quick it's very quick something that Clementine said it's always something that Joel said that Clementine said uh-huh. and Clementine said something about uh, during the first meeting the train something along the line of like I put my personality into a pace ah, <laughs> I really like uh, which is exactly a description of her head yeah, she's depressed then that's why it's blue I, I don't know what prompted yep, her yep. to say that after Joe Joe must have asked her something and then you know Clement, it's such a throwaway line and Clement says I, I just put my I don't put my personality into pace and I find it I had to pause and then write that somewhere down that's a very interesting <laughs> yeah, I've never I've never heard anyone say that before is it and then of course that whole um, uh, line about I'm a, I'm a fucked up girl uh, you know I always find someone to fill I'm, I'm paraphrasing I'm not the exact line so amazing uh, yeah something he, something that she yeah. said to Joel yeah. it's, it, it hits home you know it's the it's the, it's the entire because it paraphrased the earlier scenes of like how Joel keep having this bad impression of her about how she's like uh, he had this impression of her always sleeps around forgetting people to like her mm-hmm. that kind of thing and that's a very weird uh, you know, um, very weird antagonistic mindset of a male to a female to begin with. But then yeah. it's the fact that Joel would even run that through his head. It's it's really quite something. Mm. Mm. Uh, if I had to choose one, it'd probably be in the beginning, uh, in the diner when Joel has a voiceover saying, uh, why do I fall in love yeah. with every girl who gives me the slight bit of Least bit of attention, yeah. Oh, that, oh my god, that, that hits so. That hits so. Which, like, it, which rings very true for it guys. Rings very true, right? This is a therapy session. It rings very true for most of uh, uh, guys, I'm pretty yeah. sure. It's mm. At any point in their life, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, when, when whenever a guy, whenever we talk to a girl that is seemingly attractive in some way, and, attractive and then they and show and a bit of attention, yes. you know, we, we saw a feel like we have an in you know <laughs> we, we have a moment yeah. <laughs> yeah it's 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 yeah it's a charlie kaufman man mm. i mean 
the throwaway lines that he wrote is like never mind the story, but the lines that he wrote it's it's deservedly a section in and of itself. All right, all right. I think uh, I think we have like a general consensus that it's a it's a great movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, one that everyone needs to watch. Right. Ooh, Definitely. I like the uh, opening credit as well. The way it opens up, then mm. three five seconds later, it just sort of like disappears into white. It's such a small little thing, and then when you notice, it, yeah, when mm-hmm. when you notice it, it's such a throwaway little thing. It's like the amount of details that Michelle Gondry put into his work it's it's next level kind of right okay do, um, we, do we have any theory why he never make any films after that because he made he did make he uh, made a Behind Rewind. Rewind I think he start, he made more French films after that but it didn't really uh, right. like come uh, worldwide it, it wasn't really that popular he did uh, Kidding he did Kidding, two seasons of Kidding the, the with TV Jim series Carrey. with Jim Carrey as well um, but yeah it's uh, I I would say Eternal Sunshine is probably like his best work to date. He will forever remain when we're talking about his career or Charlie Kaufman's career or even Jim Carrey's career. Mm. That film will always be mm. in the rotation of the discourse. You know. Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, for the reason that we wanted to choose this film is because uh, Charlie Kaufman is coming out with a new film yes. on Netflix. Um, this time he is writing and directing it, and this one is called I'm Thinking of Ending Things. And if you've already seen the trailer, which you should have, um, I am very excited about it. I told Derek and I'm he's excited quite excited about it as well. Andy, do you know anything about it? Um, not yet. I have to check it out. <laughs> okay. Well, let, let, me, let me tell you the, the quick logline, see if, you remember, uh, if you're intrigued. So it's basically mm-hmm. a story about a woman who follows her boyfriend to meet his parents. And then um, things start to go awry and mm. it's a uh, it gets weird it gets weird it's it's described as like a psychological thriller mm. because she is it is she's intending to end the relationship but then you know mm. weird things start to happen in a in a Kaufman S style yeah. yeah so um the trailer I'm, I'm, the trailer looks super intriguing I'm, you know I'm sitting here wondering if 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 he'll pull a sort of like a adaptation esque twist out of that book as well you know you know how he did adaptation about how he is about a writer who's trying to adapt the story from a book into a film and then he made that as a film it's it's a very weird thing to 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 see it's, Andy have you seen adaptation? Uh, I know the film but I have Nicolas Cage okay. yeah Nicolas Cage in one of his best role I would say <laughs> I really enjoy him in that role <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's, it's another weird movie from Kaufman, but only he can do that. Um, yes. But yeah, um, do we have any final thoughts on this? Uh, no, actually. Um, for anyone pretty who pretty much everything, yeah, we I'm, I'm to. pretty sure. I'm, I'm, you know, for anyone who haven't seen the film, do yourself a favor and watch it. It's a, it's a remedy for life in a way, you know. Um, it's also one of the great movies right up there in the pantheon. Um, yeah. Like, couldn't be any more higher than that. Mm. Alright, cool. Um, with that, uh, we will conclude our episode and uh, we hope you get the <coughs> chance to watch it as well. Yeah. Um, do whatever means that you can. It's not on Netflix. Legally or illegally. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not on Netflix. It's not on Netflix now, mm. but you know, I'm sure you can find it somewhere in the internet. Yeah. So, yeah. Do, do catch up on uh, Children of Men as well. Uh, we dig through that in our past film club um, yeah it's, it's it, we are 
currently in the midst of finding a third film to do for the next one. All right. Uh, thanks for listening to this episode. My now my. Well, I fumble, fumble my name there, but yeah. As always, my name is Gary. Life happens that way. Uh, my name is Derek, and I'm Andy. And uh, thanks for listening. And we'll come to you again with a new movie soon. Yep. See ya. Bye. Bye.